All right, welcome ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. This is the Restoration Hour here at Eurofolkradio.com. It's July 27, 2019, going solo for the first hour or so, uh, to be joined later by Daryl if everything's working right because I'm on my backup computer and I had to download uh, the various programs uh, to the backup computer that I run on the main computer. So uh, that's why we're just a little bit late getting started. But in any case, the subject matter for tonight and possibly for the next few weeks is going to be the Aryan race of Jesus Christ. And it's going to take uh, several shows to back it up because there's absolutely no doubt that Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, was white and Aryan, and that uh, we've already proven many times over on this you know, radio series, radio show, radio network, that the Bible forbids race mixing. But it also speaks of the Adamic race as being the white race, and uh, Raitland, of course, has a, this competitor called the Jews. And in recent years, we've had this group called, calling themselves the Black Hebrews or Black Israelites, where they claim to be Israel. But it's very easy to demonstrate that Jesus Christ was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white man. And uh, we're going to be quoting from various documents to prove that. And those who are promoting the black Israelite uh, false ideology, we will be debunking that in this series, series. So first of all, we're going to talk about Jason Blaha's article, A Beast with a Hand. It's actually got a question mark. And because this is about various passages in the Old Testament, uh, in Genesis and other books, that talks about a beast that has uh, two legs, has hands, has vocal cords, can worship God, but still called a beast. And the reason for that is because the the two the two words che c h a y actually uh, pronounce hawa in uh, the Hebrew, but we anglicize it so that uh, people can keep it distinct from the Hebrew, and uh, and also behema, from which we get our behemoth from, but also it too is used of creatures that have humanoid features, okay? Now, this, this means that the beast with a hand resembles Adam, the Adamic race, in that it has two hands, two feet, vocal cords, etc., and even has the ability to worship God. And that is certainly what all the other races do, including the white race. However, that does not make them Adamites. To be Adam means to show blood in the face. That's exactly what it means in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. Adam. 
So what I'm going to do real quick, I'm going to go to Genesis 1 before actually quoting the article Beast with a Hand by Jason Blaha. I'm going to go through Genesis 14 and, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 1 verses, let's get this right here, 23, uh, I'm sorry, 24, 24 and 25. Genesis 1 verses 24 and 25. And Elohim said, let the earth bring forth the living creature. Living is Kahi Che. It's spelled Che in the English transliteration, but it's pronounced Kahi in Hebrew. And so we'll just anglicize it for convenience. Creature is Nefesh. The living creature after his kind. And kind is mean, that is a sort, i.e. a species. So, Yahweh brought all these different creatures in according to their species. And of course, kind after kind is the rule here that the species should not intermix. And it also translates cattle, this is behema. But behema is more a dumb beast, especially any large quadruped, but is not limited to quadrupeds, and is certainly not limited to cattle. It also can be a beast with a hand. And creeping thing, remes, a reptile or any other rapidly moving animal. So we're not going to concern ourselves with a reptile. But here is the first instance in verse 24 of the expression, beast of the earth. And so that's Che of Eretz, meaning the ground, the land. doesn't necessarily mean the planet. It can mean the planet or world in the correct context. But uh, basically it means land roaming the uh, creatures that roam around on the land, as all quadrupeds and bipeds do. But when you have Che of the Eretz, Che of the Earth, Beast of the Earth, again, after his kind, all these different species, that either biped or quadruped, that walk around on the Earth, discounting the millipedes and centipedes and other creatures that have more legs than two or four, and there are very few of those, uh, you're getting into crustaceans and lobsters and things like that, and spiders. They're not the, uh, you know, the bipeds or quadrupeds. So uh, the point is that the word beast can refer to both bipeds and quadrupeds, kahi or che. And it was so. Genesis one twenty-five. And Elohim made the beast of the earth. Here we go. It's the second instance of beast of the earth after his kind. And again, cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. Repeating the kind after kind law 
that the world is breaking today thanks to the Jews imposing multiculturalism and race mixing upon, upon us. And Elohim saw that it was good. In other words, the fact that these species were all created, created separately and to remain separate, kind after kind, Yahweh says this is good. Now, verse 26. And Elohim said, let us make man. Man is Adam. From H119, ruddy. That is, they call it a human being. Mankind. Another uh, can also be translated to, as hypocrite, man of mean or low disposition or low person, low degree. But the word 119 means to, that is also, it's the same word, but a slightly different meaning, and that means to show blood in the face. So there's only one species that shows blood in the face. Now throughout history, the history of archaeology and geology, it has been demonstrated that these various species the humanoid species, left to themselves without a breeder mixing them. Blacks have all, all throughout history reproduced only blacks. Chinese all throughout history have reproduced only <coughs> Orientals. Adam kind throughout history has only produced Adam kind. Amerindians throughout history have only reproduced uh, Amerindians. Eskimos throughout history have only reproduced Eskimos. And the uh, people down in Austra Australopithecus throughout history have only repeat, uh, reproduced Australopithecus. No other species has been found in the natural habitat of these various races until other races were introduced and mixing began. This is geological and archaeological and racial history. And no one can deny that this is the case. Because when the white man first entered Africa, they, uh, they found nothing but Negroes. There, was, there were subspecies of the Negroes, but they were still Negroes with the dark skin, usually thicker lips than white people, usually the flatter nose, uh, various structural and skeletal differences. But they, those differences, those racial differences, held true throughout the subspecies. The same thing in the Orient. These Chinese or Orientals had never produced anything but an Oriental. The Eskimos had never produced anything but an Eskimo. The Amerindians had never produced anything but more Amerindians. They didn't produce any bearded white men, etc., etc., so this is Yahweh's law of kind after kind being demonstrated. And of course, only the white race, the Adamic race, race Adam kind, shows blood in the face. And Yahweh says at the end of verse 25 that it was good. The fact that all these species were created separately and remained separate. Genesis 1.26 And Elohim said, let us make man, again, this is Adam, 
not beast of the earth, not beast of the field, in our image, after our likeness, which suggests that the Elohim that created the Adamic species, species were in the spirit world similar in, in appearance, Nordic looking, you can call them angels, you can call them demigods, whatever you want to call them. They existed in the spirit and assisted Yahweh in creating these various species and placing them on the earth. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So he was giving dominion exclusively to Adam, not to all races. As a matter of fact, the dominion, the dominion is for Adam to have even over the beasts of the field, the other races. And that is what had obtained throughout most of history until the Edomites gained uh, dominion over the Adamites, as prophesied by Isaac to Esau uh, way back when, around 3,000 more years ago. But that was fulfilled, if you've been listening to the series that that Andy, myself, and Pastor Steve had done on the opening of the bottomless pit, you will find, and that's Yahweh's signs of the end times, you will find that the opening of the bottomless pit was letting the Jews out of the ghettos in Europe and allowing the house of Rothschild, that is Esau, the Jews are Esau, out of the ghettos and allowing the, the house of Rothschild to establish banking operations international and national banking operations in Europe, thereby gaining the dominion over the Adamic race. Because why? Because we had abandoned real Christianity, law-abiding Christianity, such that our people had become gullible and lawless in our own right, irrespective of whether Jews assisted us or not. We became lawless, and uh, the churches started preaching antinomianism, dispensationalism, the rapture theory, and all this other kind of stuff that's not scriptural. So, and as Solzhenitsyn said, the reason Russia uh, suffered under Bolshevism was because the Russian people had forgotten God. The lower classes loved vodka more than God, (laughs) and the upper classes loved socialism more than God. That's right, folks. The liberals of Russia, even though Russia was a monarchy, liberalism prevailed among the bureaucratic class, and Russia had a huge bureaucracy, nothing like America has today, or nothing like America ever had like in the 1930s. But nevertheless, the, the upper crust, the educated classes of whites in Russia tended to be liberals and they, they wanted to oversee in not communist fashion, but socialist fashion, okay? Because every bureaucrat is a socialist in embryo, as it were. That is a a petty dictator in embryo. You see that all over uh, the socialist world. You even see it, especially in democracies. 
but a republic is designed to keep that impulse under control by minimizing the number of bureaucratic jobs there are to be had, keeping those to an absolute minimum. And therefore, that's why we have so much chaos and corruption in the world today, because we have all of these petty bureaucrats on the bottom and big shot bureaucrats at the top and bankers running the entire operation. That's where we're at. And those of us in Christian identity know this, but the, the literati of the various, uh, various universities and political parties, etc., are clueless about how badly, and it's the same is true of the churches, clueless about how seriously we are in rebelling against Yahweh's laws. Okay? That's just to set up a beast with a hand by Jason Blaha. We want to get uh, that concept of beast, beast of the field and beast of the earth set for you so you can understand what Jason Blaha has to say about it. Okay, here we go. Greetings to you and Yahweh Yahshua. In this Bible study, it is my intent to clarify what the scriptures say on the subject of man and beast. It is of the utmost importance that we make the distinction between man and beast and learn how the scriptures pertain to these two forms of beings and separately, as well as their relationship with each other. Those of you within the identity community will readily accept what the Bible tells us of this subject, and you may have already found this knowledge on your own. On the other hand, those who do not study the scriptures in the same detail as those of us whom hold the key of David, which is the love of the scriptures and love of Yahweh's law, and call upon the name of our father Yahweh, may not be as receptive to this crucial understanding of the scriptures. If this be the case for you, then I ask that you put aside the teachings and doctrines of men that you have been taught in the establishment churches and open your heart and your mind to the Holy Spirit, the word of Jesus Christ, slash Yahshua, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in one being. As always, with all of my writings, you will notice that this Bible study uses the word Yahweh in the place of the Lord in all of the Bible quotes. This is not meant to confuse those who are unfamiliar with this word. Those who study Hebrew know that placing the words the Lord in place of the name of God, Yahweh, in the English translations of the scriptures was a big mistake considering that the name does not actually mean Lord. <laughs> By changing Yahweh to the Lord, we reduce the name of the one true God to a mere title, and one must also bear in mind that the name Baal means Lord or Master in Hebrew. You can confirm these facts for yourself. While reading the story of Moses and the Mount, you may have come across something strange. Exodus 19.13, quote, There shall not and hand touch it, Mount Sinai, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, I shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Okay, so it's talking about a hand, there shall not an hand touch it, whether it be beast or or man. Okay, so already we have an instance in Exodus 19.13 of a beast with a hand. 
So the Bible is telling us that there are beasts that have hands. And these have to be two-legged beasts because they would also have feet. Now, monkeys and apes have hands, but their feet are not true feet. Their feet are actually have a thumb, a thumb-like projection, which can gri- uh, grip branches, food, and other things. Humanoid feet have a big toe, and that big toe is very difficult to use for grasping things. However, apes and monkeys have a thumb on their so-called feet. They actually have four hands, with the bottom hand being used for walking around, but very little uh, bipedal walking. It's usually four-legged hopping and running. Yes, apes can stand up and walk on their hind hands. So can dogs. We can train just about any four-legged animal to stand up on its hind hindquarters. But they don't do this natural naturally, and they don't do this often as true bipeds do. So let me repeat, Exodus 19.13... And let me double check this from Esword. What does Esword say about it? Exodus 19:13, just to double check. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be put to death or stoned, he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast and this is Behema 9:29 or man-ish. And this is often translated as husband, man, uh, person, etc. So in any case, this is often used of bipeds. uh, And most often is bipeds, but as ish in the biblical usage, it's primarily used as males, males of the species as opposed to the females, whether it be Adam kind or some other kind of bipedal kind. So that's ish, and that almost always means uh, a human person, a human person, not necessarily Adam. It's inclusive of the other races. And it continues to say, It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Okay. Now you have to remember that there were a mixed multitude that came along from Egypt with the Israelites. And it was actually the members of this mixed multitude, the non-Israelites, who first demanded that they have a golden calf, <laughs> right? And so, but this is telling us, Exodus 19.13 is telling us that nobody, no human hand, humanoid hand, will touch Mount Sinai. Okay, so they had to wait down at the foot of the mountain 
until Moses came down, in verse 14, and Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes, etc., etc. So that's the first instance of a beast with a hand, meaning a non-Adamic. And I think in both cases, now the behemoth with a hand, as we got from the definition, can be a non-white with a hand or it can be an Adamite with a hand. It could be either one. But you get the beast with a hand in Exodus 19.13. And Jason Blaha asks, a beast with a hand? Perhaps you are thinking this is a mistranslation. Or perhaps it means touch in general rather than with an actual hand. Well, let us see what the Hebrew word hand was translated from. It comes from the Hebrew word yad, Y-A-D, which means an open hand as opposed to a closed one. So I missed that. Let me go back there. And, and hand, and that is, come on, open up, yad. Okay, pronounced yod, a hand. The open one indicating power means direction in distinction from the closed one. Okay, so this literally means a hand. A hand which is capable of throwing a javelin, for for instance. Okay, so very good, Jason. Very few of us have ever picked that up. I This is the first time I, I missed that. So thank you, Jason, for... Uh, elucidating that for me. How can a beast have a hand? To answer that, let us go to the book of Genesis in which the entire foundation of both Old and New Testament is laid. Genesis 1, 20-25 And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Verse 21, And God created whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. He's talking about the creatures in the water and the creatures in the air. These verses, 20, 21, 22, and 23, are about uh, air and water creatures. And let me compare. Continue verse 21, and, every, uh, and God created the great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly, after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. In other words, bluebirds did not nest with mockingbirds, and sperm whales did not mate with blue whales, etc. And God saw that it was good. Verse 22, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And of course, the fowl and all types of birds eventually have to land. <laughs> so they, they're, even though they're creatures of the air, they're also creatures of the earth. And some of the water creatures could crawl up on land and get back into the sea, but most do not, you know, such as uh, crabs. Crabs can do that sort of thing. And, and uh, of course, uh, you know, the, uh, some of the sea mammals, such as seals and walruses. Verse 23, And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Let us bear in mind that these days are not literal days, but periods of time in which Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. Verse 24, which we already discussed, and let's see what Jason has to say about it. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, 
cattle and creeping thing, the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Let us take a closer look at this phrase, beast of the earth. It is translated from the Hebrew words che, or kai, eretz, except for verse 25 in which it is ke adama. As we pointed out in verse 25 and 26, it's adama. Eretz means country, earth, field, ground, nations, land, wilderness, etc. Adama meaning country, earth, husbandry, or land. Take a look at this word kai, or che, which means alive or a living creature. Now we will further explore Genesis and find out what Yahweh did after he created these che eretz. Okay, so he's also making the same distinction that in verses 24 and 25, these were beasts of the earth, including the non-Adamic bipeds. Adam does not appear until 26 and 27. So let's read. And Elohim said, Let us, yes it says us, but that is the topic of another study, make man, Adam, which they define as human being, but we know that it means to show blood in the face. The root word is number 119, Adam. Flush or turn rosy in our image after our likeness. So, only the Adamic race was in the likeness of Elohim. The beast of the earth, the beast of the field, was not. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, as I said, only Adam kind was given this dominion. Verse 27 so God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, that is, the species. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth which includes all life under the Adam, Adamic species. Blaha continues, Once you start looking at the scriptures in the original tongue they were written in, it puts a new spin on things. We have been taught from the time we are old enough to sit in the pews at church that all two-legged speaking beings are descended from Adam and Eve. However, what the average Christian fails to recognize is that through careful research of the scriptures, one can determine how long ago Adam was created. The greater majority of biblical scholars agree that this was somewhere between 5,500 and 6,000 years ago. Don't you find it interesting that scientists, surely you've heard of Louis Farrakhan speak of this, and archaeologists can prove that the Negroid race is over 40,000 years old? or that the great nation of China documents itself as being 8,000 years old, and I think longer than that, and in fact documents the Great Flood, which was in fact a localized flood, which we'll address before we are done with this study, that biblical scholars estimate as being between 2300 and 2400 B.C., 
that almost reached their land. Yes, the Chinese have documents saying that the flood nearly reached the source of the Yellow River, but stopped there. There are only three basic races of humanity, according to most scientists. Negroid, that's Africans. Mongoloid, Asiatic. And most American Indians. By the way, the Navajo Indians recorded in their history that around the same time as the Great Flood, that the water level rose dramatically in their land, but did not wipe them out. And Caucasoid. All others are either variations or sub-tribes of these three, or are mongrelized mixtures of them. If the Negroid race is at least 40,000 years old, and the nation of China is 8,000 years old, that's, that's the nation, documented history of China, they obviously existed long before then, the creators of it would have to be much older, he says, and Adam was formed only 6,000 years ago. That leaves only you and I, the Caucasoid race. Please note the meaning of Adam and its root meaning of the same spelling, but slightly different pronunciation. If one takes the time to do a minute, a minute, actually a minute of research, <laughs> a minute amount of research, one can easily conclude that only the Caucasoid race or part Caucasoid mongrels have the ability to blush. For most of their lives, the average church-going Christian has been taught by their pastors and ministers that after, after the Great Flood, Noah and his sons repopulated the earth and that all the races descended from Noah's three sons. As we well know, Yahweh does not break his own laws of nature as he always describes such things as an abomination in his word. Can a white woman give birth to an African or Asian baby? Not unless she has been fornicating with a Negroid or Asian. In such a scenario, the child is not a Negroid or an Asian, but rather a mongrel, bearing the DNA of both races. Can a Negroid woman give birth to a pure Caucasian or Asian child? Not without such an embryo being implanted by a physician. Did not our father in Genesis see that his creations had multiplied kind after kind, and say that it was good? Despite the laws of nature that our Father has so beautifully created, these preachers and ministers would have you believe that in less than 4,500 years, all three of these races have evolved from a common source. Tell an Antichrist evolutionist that the three basic races have evolved from a common source with their different bone and muscle structures in less than 4,500 years and see what type of reaction you get from him. Well, actually the evolutionists ignore these statements by the pastors because they, they want something to laugh at, <laughs> right? The snickerette from behind the curtain. They want Judeo-Christianity to appear ignorant and unscientific. They want that. So, but because this is actually a fast-track form of evolution, but, of course, the evolutionists teach that everybody came out of Africa, out of a pair of blacks. The churches say every, all the races came out of uh, Noah and Naama, and, and so, supposedly each son of the three sons was a different race. Okay, so this would violate Yahweh's law of kind after kind, and it totally violates uh, all DNA studies. All DNA studies, no such thing would ever take place without a mixed race or a different race father. And even then, they would only be half-breeds, not pure races. How, how do they breed pure? 
from a half-breed source. That, that also makes no sense. If Adam and Eve were the first bipedal thinking creatures, then look at the following scriptures, bearing in mind that only Adam, Eve, and Abel, who was now dead, and Cain were named as existing at the time. Genesis 4, 14, 15. Behold, thou hast driven me, Cain, out of this day, out this day from the face of the earth. Hmm, the entire earth or the immediate area? The word earth is translated from Eretz, which we will touch upon later, and from the, thy face shall I be hid. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is this everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And it wasn't Adam and Eve <laughs> who slayed him. They were just glad to have him gone. So who is this everyone that's being spoken of? And Yahweh said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So the father put a mark upon Cain, which was a symbol of probably terror for anyone trying to kill him so that he would not be killed. Because why? Well, because the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 saying that there would be enmity between the offspring of Cain and the offspring of Seth would continue until God's plan is fulfilled. Namely, at the judgment day. Verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. If Adam, Eve, and Cain were the only human beings using a modern definition of the term, how do we account for his wife? At this point, Eve had only brought forth Cain and Abel from her womb. Thus we cannot say that a mature daughter of Adam, Adam departed from the land of Eden to marry Cain. Shortly thereafter, Cain built his city and had roughly as many generations of children as Adam before the deluge. Where did Cain find enough people to construct a city, which he named and obviously ruled? The answer is simple if you think of the scriptures in the simplicity that our Father has written them in. From among the pre-Adamic peoples from whom he took a wife. He took them from among the che ki Eretz. At this point, you may be wondering about the Great Flood. Most pastors and ministers have been taught enough about the scriptures and have access to enough resources to know that this global flood theory is based upon a mistranslation and know full well how that mistranslation occurred. Is this to say that the word of God is in error and cannot be trusted? God forbid. The error is not in the original divinely inspired text, but rather in the imperfection of the flesh or the translators. Hands of flesh translated these Hebrew and Greek documents, fallible flesh. This being said, let us remember that the word of God is never in error, only tra the translations of the flesh. These pastors and ministers continue to teach the global flood with little or no archaeological evidence. Watch the Trinity Broadcasting Network or one of the other or other fake Christian channels and observe their amazing proof and you will get the idea. There are seven, even some circles in identity which teach that both the serpent seed and the beasts of the field from all over the world survived this global flood on board the ark. 
these so-called identity teachers, as it is said in the scriptures, heap coals upon their own heads. Let us see what the scriptures have to say on the subject. We shall start with a short look at Noah and his story. Genesis 6, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass when men, this is translated from the Hebrew word Adam, meaning blushing men, blushing in the face, began to multiply on the face of the earth, that is, on the surface of the earth. And and daughters were born unto them, that sons of God. So really, the sons and daughters, besides Cain and Abel, of Adam and Eve are not recorded until Genesis chapter 6. So, you know, it'd be very difficult to make the assumption that Cain married one of Adam and Eve's daughters. There's no indication that that happened at, at all. It's just that they're, they're jump, grasping at straws trying to explain who Cain married. So, uh, and that the sons of God, that is the Elohim, okay, we're talking about the angels, the watchers, who left their first estate, as uh, Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter tells us, saw the daughters of men, again, the word is Adam, they saw white women, that they were fair, that they had fair colored skin that they were fair, not that they were uh, had pleasant dispositions. <laughs> not all white women have pleasant dispositions, but all white women have fair skin, unless they get a nice brown tan. And they took them wives, of, and wives is a uh, also a mistranslation. They didn't go through any marriage ritual. They were raped by the fallen ones, all of which they chose. And Yahweh said, My spirit shall not always strive with Adam, for that he is also flesh, yet his day shall be an hundred and twenty years. So the lifespan of the Adamites will be reduced to one hundred and twenty years after the flood. Genesis 6, 1 through 3, And it came to pass, when men, Adam blushing men, began to multiply in the face of the earth, Okay, sorry, I just read that. Stop and take a look at the word flesh. It is translated from basar, Strong's 1320, which means flesh from its freshness, by extension. Body, person, also the pudenda of a man. Okay, now a man, I think, could also be, in the generic sense, that human genital organs. So this is not a figurative word, folks. (laughs) This means literal flesh, male and female. In other words, it is not speaking of the flesh of a beast when basar is used. Make a note of this. Genesis 6.4. There were giants, Strong's nephil, meaning a bully, tyrant, or a giant, in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God, angels who sinned against Yahweh by this act, came in unto the daughters of Adam, and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty, that is, Gibor, powerful warrior, tyrant, champion, chief, giant, men which were of old, men of renown. Okay, so why would it say men which were of old from the thousands of years before 
the Adamic race was created in Genesis chapter 1. Men of renown, which, which means that they were here already. They're referred to in the Greek mythology and Roman myth as the Titans. The Titans. And virtually every society on the face of the earth, in the Americas, in China, even Africa, have myths, stories of giants that the normal-sized humanoids had to make war against these giants and get rid of them because these giants were killing them off and actually using them as food. Don't worry, we shall deal with post-flood giants later. First, we must deal with the matter at hand. Good things come to those with patience. Genesis 6.5 And God saw that the wickedness of man, that is, Adam, was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So the, the Adamic people, except for Noah and his family, had become very lustful and evil in, in many ways. And it repented Yahweh that he had made Adam on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. This is just as it grieves his heart today when men, that is white men, do not follow the path of righteousness. You will note that in some of the latter verses I have replaced the English translation with the original Hebrew words. You can confirm the validity of them on your own. Genesis 6-7 And Yahweh said, I will destroy Adam, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both Adam and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8, however, Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahweh. We shall see why shortly. Verse 9, these are the generations that Toledau, meaning the plural form of the word, meaning descent, family history, birth generations, that is physical descent. Toledau, the Hebrew word here, Strong's 8435 of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Toledah again. So Toledah is a word that means descent. That is genetics, DNA, were just and perfect and perfect in his generations. That's perfect in his descent. The word just, he was a just Adamite which means he was a good, righteous man, and also perfect in his DNA, in his descent. And he walked with God. A lot of modern theologians and ministers attempt to convince us that it says perfect in his generation, singular, and that generation simply means the generation born at that time. They tell us that Noah was the holiest man of that generation and that this is the meaning of perfect in his generations. Our people, being the sheep of Yahweh, said we are just follow along, never bothering to wonder if the word generations used in this verse both mean the same thing. Well, they are both translated from the word Toledah, and both clearly mean lineage. The scriptures are saying that Noah was perfect in his lineage. If you were born in the United States in the last 50 years, this may be rather difficult for you to comprehend, with what they teach in these federal indoctrination centers called schools and in the churches of Baal that have cropped up across this great nation. Noah was perfect in his lineage because he was not mixed. 
And, of course, Deuteronomy 23.2 tells us, Shall not come a mamzer, that means mongrel, into the congregation of Yahweh. Mixed with what, you might ask? Noah was not mixed with the blood of the beast, nor with the fallen angels spoken of in this chapter, nor was he mixed with the seed of the serpent, who existed through Cain's descendants. Simply put, he drew all of his ancestry from the Adamic race, and none other. If Noah was selected in part because he was pure in his lineage, then one must conclude that the majority of the people were not. And even if they were pure, they were starting to engage in that sin of race mixing. Genesis 6.10, And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It is very important that we pause and think here. If being pure in one's generations was a good thing, and Noah walked with God, then we must conclude that Noah followed the commandments of God, such as multiply kind after kind, and dwelt in righteousness. Open your spiritual eyes, brothers and sisters. Let the Holy Spirit, not an unholy spirit from Satan, lead you to the truth of this matter and the significance of it. Noah would only have taken a wife who was pure in her generations as well. There are a number of churches springing up in America which are teaching that Noah had three wives of different races and that his sons were of different races. If Noah and his wife were pure in their generations, then Shem, Ham, and Japheth were as well. We know from studying the Hebrew that Adam was a Caucasoid, and that Eve, being formed of one of his ribs, was as well. Noah was pure in his lineage, thus was a member of our people along with his wife and four sons. If you have been taught in these... uh, I think it should be three sons here, (laughs) not four. If you have been taught in these Judeo-Christian temples of Baal most of your life, this will elude you. So you must draw upon the Holy Spirit if you are to comprehend these things. On the other hand, if you are a babe in Christ or a small child, you can easily grasp these simple concepts. Failure to understand the lineage of Adam through Noah and then on to Noah's three sons will leave you grasping at straws as you study the rest of the scriptures. If your understanding of Scripture is not rooted in a good foundation, it will never grow. And if your house of faith is not built upon solid ground, it will crumble as we progress into the latter days of Jacob's trouble, which is the subject that Andy and I are talking about on Yahweh's Signs of the End Times, which comes out on Friday mornings. I'm sorry, Wednesday mornings. The foundation of the scriptures is in the book of Genesis. That is why this beautiful book is the first one in your Holy Bible. If you fail to understand two concepts from the first several chapters, your study will be in vain. For these two things saturate every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The first being the identity and history of the seed of the serpent from Genesis 3.15, which is not included in this Bible study, but that's the lineage of Cain through the fallen one, Nachash and the comprehension and identification of the lineage of Adam. The establishment churches fail in both of these regards, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, etc. And that is why someone who knows the scriptures can discuss them with one of these Baal ministers and literally rip their entire collection of doctrines apart with nothing but a King James Bible. As we read the following scriptures, let us bear in mind that there is no evidence that the Adamic race has spread across the entire globe. They dwelt in a single nation or land. Well, this would be uh, Mesopotamia. The Adamic race 
was engendered in Mesopotamia, although there may have been some up there in Mongolia, in the Terran Basin. We have white mummies from up there that are so fantastically preserved because of the cold, dry climate that they, you can still see their white skin, their blue eyes, and blonde hair. The mummies of Mongolia have that. They dwelt in a single nation or land. And typically, in the early days of confrontation between races, there was nothing but violence, with the exception of traders, <laughs> such as the East Dutch East India Company, and, uh, and, and missionaries, but typically, the, when the blacks and Amerindians and Chinamen who never had seen a white man before in their lives uh, saw a white man, there was suspicion and uh, violence was often threatened. Same goes when the white man sailed into the Pacific Ocean and confronted the natives there. They had never seen a white man before, and the white men had never seen them before. That's because... They grew up in their own habitat. This will be addressed a little later in the study. This verse of scripture and others like it are the ones used as primary evidence of a global flood. Okay? But the, the flood was the, the, I like to put it this way, the, the deluge was global. It rained all over the earth. But the flood was especially bad in Mesopotamia, where the white race existed. Although there, there were others, of course, the giants. And uh, they were breeding, you know, they were doing hybrid experimentation there as well. Genesis 6:17, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood upon the waters of the earth, that is, dirt, ground, or territory, to destroy all basar, flesh of people, wherein there is the breath of life, from under the heaven and everything that is in the Eretz shall die. Eretz, territory. In this Adamic flesh is the breath of life. Let us find the biblical reference to who has the breath of life. Is it all creatures that draw air into their lungs? This is everything that the scriptures have to say on what has the breath of life. Quote Genesis 2.7 And Yahweh God formed man, that's Adam, blushing man, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul, breath being the spirit, the spirit of life. There is no wiggle room here, brothers and sisters. Adam was given the breath of life. Neither the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, nor the fish of the sea were given the breath of life, nor were they made living souls. All Adamic flesh, which alone contains the breath of life, was destroyed, except for, of course, Noah, in that territory, Noah and his family. All of it under the heavens, because Yahweh had kept it contained in the Eretz. Yahweh kept it contained in that land, and everything that is the Eretz shall die. That is right. Everything that was in this land where Adam dwelt would perish in the deluge, along with the people that dwelt there. However, it does not say that everything under the heavens. Genesis 7, 4. For yet seven days I will cause it to rain upon the Eretz, forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made I will destroy from the face of the Adama. And Adama is red soil. And if, ever, if you've ever been to Georgia and Alabama, 
you will see red dirt. <laughs> Not black dirt, red dirt. This is correct. Yahweh destroyed every living thing that dwelt in that land by the flood. There are many verses saying the same thing, and they are all true, for there is no untruth in the word, only misinterpretations. Allow the Holy Spirit that our Father instilled in each of us to speak to you on this matter as we delve deeper into this subject. Okay, let me... Ooh. uh, I want to open... the uh, free conference call, which I had open at the beginning of the show and seems to have uh, disappeared. Let me go and see. I should have a link. Okay. Uh, No, not for this site. I'm sorry, folks. I have to uh, open free conference. For some reason, it... uh, Okay, it says an error has occurred on this page. Sorry. Okay, I have to log back in. Rats. Okay, so, uh, okay, what I'm going to do, I'm going to play a song while I'm logging back into free conference because I was expecting Daryl to call in, and uh, for some reason it simply disappeared off my screen due to some kind of error. So here we go with some music, and we'll be right back, folks. We'll be right back.
now enter the corner. Well, I guess the first download didn't take effect, so I had to read downloadfreeconference.com. And so, uh, Daryl, if you're listening, go ahead and call in at any point. Uh, this is going to be a test <laughs> of the system here. And uh, hopefully, we. Q and A uh, mode on. Okay, Q and A mode. may now unmute themselves. So, if you call in, you can uh, unmute yourself if you're listening. And actually, let me give this number out to anybody who wants to call in. It's 218-339-7800. And the access code, which you'll be prompted for, is 546-7723. Again, 218-339-7800. And the access code is 546-7723. If you want to call in and ask a question or make a comment, Please feel free to do so. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, well, I'm going to have to minimize the uh, the free conference window. And uh, all right, get it back up here. There we go. So when I minimize it, I have to go down to the bottom of the screen to open it up again so I can go back to reading the document. So, uh, and I'm supposed to hear a, a sound like an elevator ding <laughs> when somebody calls in. So I hope that's what will happen. All right. So these are the things we've been talking about. We've been talking about the beast with a hand, the and Genesis chapters 1 through 6, where the beast of the earth and the beast of the field and Adama, or rather Adam, are introduced and spoken of in distinct terms that only the Adam was given the dominion over the earth and not the beasts with hands. Okay, so it's unfortunate that the King James translators use the term beast for these entities. Could also say the people with hands <laughs> instead of beasts, but they didn't know any better. Okay, so uh, could even have used the term creatures with hands or beings with hands, but they chose the word beasts as this is not necessarily a slight, it's just a bad translation. Okay, and then Jason goes through the, uh, you know, the flooding of the area and he's talking about the antediluvian giants, quoting Genesis 7.4. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the Eretz, 40 days and 40 nights, 
And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from the face of the Adama, which means the red earth of that territory. That is correct. Yahweh destroyed every living thing that dwelt in that land. There are many verses saying the same thing, and they are all true, for there is no untruth in the word, only misinterpretations. And there were giants in those days. And there, and there we saw the giants, quoting Numbers 13.33. This is when the Israelites invaded Canaan land. And there we saw giants, Nephil, the sons of Anak. Anak was one of the giants that lived in the land. After the flood, how'd they get there after the flood? Well, because as we said here, not the entire earth was flooded. And even the book of Jasher tells us that many of the people in the plain that was flooded escaped to higher ground. They escaped to higher ground. And this is why we get the epic of Gilgamesh because the mountains of India and uh, those other countries where the mountains get higher and higher and higher were not flooded. And so there were people living that. That's where we get the epic of Gilgamesh from, from the east. Because those people, many of them, survived Noah's flood. The sons of Anak, which come of the giants, Gibor, uh, the same word used for the giant angel Adamite crossbreeds of Genesis. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Again, that's Numbers 13.33. These men were not six or seven feet tall. The scriptures clearly imply that they were huge. Yahweh does not exaggerate. These monsters were more likely than not 15 or 20 feet tall. The Hebrew word, wording makes it very clear that they descended from the giants of Genesis chapter 6. These giants and other tribes of giants are spoken of in Deuteronomy, Joshua, 2 Samuel, and 1 Chronicles. What of Goliath? How did these giants survive the flood? Would Noah have brought these unnatural creatures on board the ark? If you have eyes with which to see, then I will ask you this. Did Yahweh allow the serpent seed on board the ark as well? Is this the reason why Noah had to have such a large ark? Actually, it wasn't a very large ark at all. It's only a couple of football fields long. And a lot of it had to contain the food for the animals that were on board, which really weren't very many. They were essentially the clean and unclean animals that you would see on a farm. That's the only type of creature that was uh, allowed on the ark, besides the uh, Adamites. Okay, so Yahweh wouldn't allow all of this race mixing to go on on board the ark. That would defeat the whole purpose of having the flood. To contain these giants and the animals they would need to consume, right? Is that Would he allow these giborim? On the ark? No, I'm sorry. The, the, the Geborim were, at least the ones who stayed in the area, were destroyed. The ones who got away, many of them, wound up in Canaan land. There was hardly enough meat with only seven of every clean animal for Noah and his family, eight people, along with the predatory animals to eat. And it's not uh, necessary that uh, there were even any predatory animals 
on board the ark. It just says clean and unclean. And those two de- distinctions are referred to, uh, you know, animals we can eat, you know, such as chickens and lambs and, and um, uh, you know, f- typical farm animals, cows. But horses and uh, you know, lions, you know, well, lions aren't considered uh, unclean or uh, Nobody w- would want to eat a lion. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think there's ever been a case of uh, any humanoid eating lion meat. They just kill them because they're they're uh, dangerous. But horses, yeah, they will kill a horse even though it's unclean meat. So are geese and ducks. But people will eat those even though they're unclean. So the only farm animals clean and unclean, were allowed the ark. So the, the population of the ark was very small. Because you had eight people who had to tend to feeding these animals, both clean and unclean, and had to get rid of the waste that they created from the little bit that they ate. So folks, th- this whole scenario, this idea that the flood was global and every species of animal you're talking millions of species of animal would have had to be on board, like the platypus and the, uh, you know, wallaby, and uh, you know the strangest creatures from the strangest lands. No, they were not. That area was not flooded. That area was not destroyed. We're only talking about the global, not the sorry, the local flood which may have reached all the way up to the Terran Basin, but we see that the Ark landed in Mesopotamia. No doubt about that. Okay, bearing in mind the evil tyrants that these monstrosities were and the desire they always seemed to have throughout the Bible to destroy the Israelites, they would have been difficult to contain. Perhaps they were tall enough that they stood on the peaks of the mountains and managed to keep their heads above water until the flood subsided. The flood subsided? Interesting notion. Where did it go and why didn't it leave any archaeological or geological evidence? Well, how deep was this flood? The Bible says 50 cubits, which is about 75 feet or 25 yards. Let us see how the waters were drained. Genesis 8.1 And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark and God made a wind to pass over the Eretz, and the waters assuaged. So it's saying at least evaporation. Most interesting, Yahweh caused a great wind to pass over the waters, and this blew them off the land. Use the common sense that the Father gave you. If you had an entire planet covered with water, and a great wind blew across it, certainly the water would move, but it would go somewhere else. And the water from the other direction would quickly fill the void. (laughs) This happens constantly in the oceans. Good point, Jason. This is where we get waves. On the other hand, if you took a a shallow bowl and filled it with water and set it on your table and blew it with a straw, what would happen? You could blow water out and onto the table. If the flood were set in the recess at a higher altitude than the lands around it, a continual strong wind could blow the water out over a period of time. Also, such a, a specific wind in a specific direction could you know, overflow the dike, so to speak, and cause the dike to fail in that area and uh, throw mud 
and silt and who knows what else down, you know, down the mountains, okay? And actually we get in Mesopotamia, a, there's a, archaeologists have discovered an eight foot thick layer of freshwater silt. An eight foot thick layer of freshwater silt. And above and below you have archaeological remnants of civilization. So some major flood had to go in there and deposit all that silt, folks. Had to have happened. Archaeology proves that that happened. But we do not have such deposits all over the world. We only have them in, this is actually southern Mesopotamia. But these, these would be dispersed into the surrounding lands. So let us take a closer look at this word earth or Eretz. I'll start by giving you other Bible verses using the word Eretz. Due to the fact that there are thousands of them, I can only include a few. Try to fit the words earth or entire earth in place of Eretz in any of these. Okay, so Genesis 2, 11. The name of the first is Pison, that is, which is compasses the whole land, Eretz, of Havilan, where there is gold. So the first usage of the word Eretz in Genesis 2, 11 is simply talking about the territory of the river Pison, or Pison, however it's pronounced, P-I-S-O-N. And Genesis 2.12, and the gold of that land, Eretz, is good. There is bdellium and the onyx stone. So not all the earth, all the surface of the earth, contains gold, bdellium, and onyx. That's deposited only in very precise areas. Genesis 2.13, and the same, and the name of the second river is Gion. The same is it that compasses the whole land, Eretz, of Ethiopia. Okay, now you have to understand there were two Ethiopias, or two Cushes, because it's also translated as Cush. There was the Arabian Cush, also known as the Hebrew Cush, which was in the Arabian Peninsula, that huge peninsula of what is today mostly desert. We're not talking about Africa here. We're talking about the Arabian Kush. Genesis 10, verses 10 and 11. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land that is Eretz of Shinar. So Shinar is a specific territory. Out of that land, Eretz, went forth Asher. Genesis 12, 10. And there was a famine in the Eretz, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land Eretz. Genesis 15:18. Unto thy seed have I given this land Eretz, from the river of Egypt unto the great river. So that goes from the river of you know the the uh, Nile, all all the way to the Tigris and Euphrates. That's Genesis 15. That's the verse where Yahweh promises Abraham that his descendants, namely the 12 tribes of Israel, would occupy the entire land of Mesopotamia from the, the two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates, all the way down to the Nile. And that actually happened in the days uh, when Jesus walked the earth because we're given a description in the book of Acts that they, these are the areas from which the Israelites came to practice the Feast of Pentecost. 
Okay, let me quickly check free conference to see if anybody has been able to call in. May not work today because I just downloaded the, I had to re-download the program and get it listed on my uh, bottom bottom of my screen so I can open it up. It is open, but it may not be working. So my apologies for that, folks. But uh, let's continue. Having determined... Okay, I'm sorry. Back up. As one will clearly be able to see with some research, any use of the word Eretz can be translated to land, as in a specific land. I like to use the word territory. Including the ones involving the flood, which were translated earth or whole earth. Means to me the whole territory. But very few translations of the word can be made to appear as whole earth, meaning the planet. Very rare. There's only a couple of occurrences of that. Read the verses concerning the flood again, but bear in mind that the word earth means a piece of earth, or a facet, or a surface, you know, a surface area, not the whole earth. It is also possible to read the word earth in those verses as land, because land can always be used as a translation of Eretz. Having determined that the flood took place in a land, it would be unfair to those studying this to make claims about the geographical nature of this area without revealing the locations of the basin or valley in question. If one takes a look at a map of Central Asia, they will find a large basin trapped between the Tian Shan Mountains to the north and the Kuen Lun Mountains to the south. The Pamir Plateau blocks the west. To the northwest of the Tarim Basin, also called the Flood Basin, lies the Gobi Desert. With some research, ancient maps of the region may be located, showing the four rivers named in Genesis flowing out of the basin, called by those same names. In recent years, archaeologists have discovered mummies, which are unquestionably Caucasian, I mentioned those earlier, in the Tarim Basin, and the basin is now believed to be the cradle of the peoples collectively known as the White Race. Around the time of the flood, Chinese history, which we know to predate both the Great Flood and the coming of Adam, documents the flood. So the Chinese were there before the Adamites, as we said earlier. The filling of the Tarim Basin is documented along with the drain off of the waters. Part of the water was drained into the Yellow River in China, which caused it to overflow its banks and flood many villages there. Woe unto the pastors and Baal ministers who teach that we all come from Adam. Man at Adam, or blushing man and beast, neither come from the same source, nor are they equal in the eyes of Yahweh thy Elohim. Those who cannot accept this cannot can take it up with Yahweh. This may be so, but the world tells us, the word, it should say here, tells us that we are all equal. Oh, the, oh no, he's correct. The world, that is the world of the preachers and the multiculturalists, the politicians, the preachers and the politicians, and there's hardly any distinction between those two groups anymore, because they're all preaching communism, but the world tells us that we are all equal. Oh, use the common sense that Yahweh gave you, brothers and sisters. Let us observe the races which we are able to believe to be our equals. Take a long, hard look at the Negroids in Africa first. Without the help of the white man in South Africa and a few other countries, they have built absolutely nothing. They have built no great cities on their own. Name one technological invention that has come out of these beasts in Africa. Prior to the coming of the white man, their most complex tools were stone spears and bits of rock. 
They have had over 30,000 years more time than us to develop their technology and civilizations. The Africans cannot even feed themselves. Without aid from the United States, England, France, Germany, and other Caucasian nations, well over half the Negroids in Africa would starve to death. And that is true. Aid from uh, Western nations simply creates more mouths to feed and therefore more starving Africans. <laughs> what of blacks in modern-day America? As we all well know, they originally came over on a slave ship. Did these slave, those slavers just grab any Negro they saw and ship them to America? Of course not. History tells us that the slavers selected only the strongest and healthiest of the tribesmen they found. These were the top 10% the finest men and women that Africa had to offer. Once they got them on the slave ship, the living conditions were so horrible that only half of them survived the voyage across the Atlantic. Care to guess which half? The strongest half. Only the elite of the elite made it to the shores of this continent. And, I don't think he mentions it, the vast majority of those ships were owned by Jews. Jews were the ones purchasing them in Africa or their agents. And Jews were the one auctioning them off here in America. The proof of that is they were, there were no slave auctions on Saturdays, on the Jewish Sabbath. So maybe Yahweh had a, a plan when he instituted the Sunday Sabbath for most of Christianity so we could make this distinction. It proves that the Jews were the ones doing the auctioning. And that was the worst time of all. The worst time for any African slave was on that slave ship where they were forced to roll around in their own feces and urine. And this was under the oversight of Jews, not the white men. Once these black Africans got on a plantation, their life was much better. They had three hots and a cot. Some of them were taught to read. And they didn't have nearly the danger that uh, they had on the rest of their journey, which was under the auspices of Jews. They were treated much better by their white slave master than by any other people, including their own people back in Africa. You've got to realize that this is how it worked. And when the northern soldiers came into the south and took stock of the black and white populations on the various plantations, they recorded with uh, great frequency that the blacks were better fed and better off than many of the whites. They only had to work hard in uh, reaping and sowing. That's the only time they really had to work hard. The rest of it was easy labor, seasonal labor. Okay, so that, uh, uh, <laughs> now, now look at, look at the black inventors and scientists in this nation. There are a great many of them, and the, but how about in proportion to our people? Look at the crime rate. Blacks, being only 13% of the population, commit roughly 60% of the violent crimes. With the integration of our schools, look at the practices and filth that our children have learned and passed on to other generations of Caucasians in this nation. 
Look at the gang violence slash tribal warfare. What of those few black inventors and engineers that contribute to our society? Where did they learn these skills? Some may have learned them from a black teacher, but somewhere down the line it all came from our people. We created the technology and the society that has allowed them to achieve this, and we are the ones who put their ancestors in the society. Well, those of you who have heard my shows on the Civil War, entitled The Uncivil War, know that the, the vast majority of Northerners did not want blacks moving up north. They were, they were happy and content to allow the black problem to exist in the southern states. They were not liberals. They wanted to stay separate, and that's, this is Yahweh's laws. We have given these black beasts everything, yet they curse us, rape us, rob us, and kill us, and then demand more. The Negro blames us because they cannot achieve what we have done. They blame us on racism and accuse Whitey of keeping them down. Do you really think affirmative action will solve this problem? Has it solved this problem? How, much, how many more trillions in welfare will be required before the races are actually equal? In over 40,000 years, the Negroid race has failed to accomplish even a fraction of what our people have in the 6,000 years that we have existed. No amount of affirmative action will ever make us equal because it is Yahweh who created the inherent differences between man and beast. What of the Native Americans or American Indians? A little archaeological study will reveal that the majority of them were of Mongoloid descent, though a few of them were not. The Sea Tribe, Cherokee, Choctaw, etc., were originally Celtic and Scandinavian explorers who sailed over to this continent a couple of hundred years before Christ, but only a remnant of them had kept their lineage pure by the time the English colonists arrived. You should be able to find thousands of pages on this subject at your local library or a Mormon church. These Mongoloid peoples had been there for thousands of years before us. What had they accomplished in those thousands of years? When we arrived, they were using tools of stone and bone. These primitive peoples worshipped pagan gods and failed to build civilizations beyond that of small tribal units. Equal? Some say they were equal because they respected the earth and worshipped gods of nature and earth. Paganism and Satanism have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. False religions based upon Satanism do not make one equal to a white Christian. Why did Yahweh allow his Christian Israel people to destroy them? simply because we are his children and they were inconvenient beasts, just as the Canaanites in Canaan were an inconvenience to our ancestors when they captured Canaan land in the scriptures. America is the promised land of Israel, the Caucasian peoples of the earth. The other branch of the Mongoloid races has fared much better in Asia and so claim that they are superior to us. If one is a Satan-worshipping Buddhist, they might conclude that the religions of Asia are so peaceful and in touch with nature, but that counts for very little. <laughs> well, actually, there was a lot of history of warfare among the Asiatics as well. I mean, between Mongolo Mongolians and uh, further East Chinamen, and, of course, the religious uh, wars going on in the Far East, and then you count the Arabs, the... Uh, Buddhist versus the Muslim, Muslim versus the Hindu, you know, etc., uh, etc. Et you can hardly say this was peaceful coexistence 
among all these various races, because there were many races in India, the Dravidians seem to be the uh, of the Australopithecus race and had migrated up from Australia towards southern India at some point in time. They have more Negroid features than most Asians with the Oriental features. Clearly distinguishable from the white race. Easily distinguishable, etc., etc. These primitive peoples worshipped pagan gods and failed to build civilizations like we have. The other branch of the Mongoloid races has fared much better in Asia. However, they have never achieved what we would call a a republic or even a, a nation which honors the civil rights of individuals. Even the even though the Chinese have built a higher level of civilization, all of their countries before the coming of the white man were tyrannical dictatorships. All of them. They never had the spirit of what we call freedom, individualism. And many people have noticed that the Asiatics are much like uh, the drones of a beehive. You know, they're good workers and they take orders, but there's little independent spirit that only the white man has that. And the best we can do with those people is to try to set an example and by example, staying in our racial categories, they can do their best to follow our example. But if we start mixing with them, then we lose the spirit that we have to set that example. So that's why the Bible is the covenant message for the covenant race, meaning Adamic Israel. So those religions are not necessarily peaceful, and even Buddhists have wars amongst themselves. Even though Buddhism is pretty much, uh, Buddhism is such an easy religion to follow because it really has just a few rules, eight rules, and they're actually very vague. Be nice to each other. <laughs> Be nice to each other, you know, the eightfold path. I don't think it prescribes any punishments for not following those paths, Okay. So it, it, uh, Christianity is the hardest religion to practice because it demands individual self-control. None of these other religions actually demand that. Continuing. So, today we hear much talk of Asia becoming so powerful. This is primarily because our schools have been Mongolized and our once Christian society has been mixed with false religions and Antichrist Jewish teachings. This has certainly negatively affected our productivity as a people. But has Asia surpassed us? My friend, take a long, hard look at Asia. If you want to see uh, you know, cities full of sexual perversion, <laughs> you know, anarchy, go to Taiwan. No, not necessarily Taiwan. It's probably one of the better ones. Uh, Thailand. Or Vietnam, places like that. Southeast Asia is one big drug cartel and sex club. Vegas to the nth degree. 
culturally, China has bred a society of slaves. This is where their competitive advantage is. They can produce the cheap slave labor to mass-produce goods. They have really caught up with the white race, or have they? The other mongoloid nations are much the same, if, if uh, not somewhat behind China, with the exception of Japan. Japan, the emerald of Eastern Asia, has really done well in the last hundred years. After all of these thousands of years, she has finally become a major economic power. Not somewhat behind China, with the exception of Japan. Where did Japan acquire her, latent, uh, her talent for technology? You guessed it, from the white man. Our people first invented everything that Japanese produce. Much like China, Japan has created a culture of slaves to do their bidding. I guess they're just much more polite slaves. The point of this is that our people have given everything to the world. And this is the blessing of Genesis 12.3. It's obvious that the white race is the race of the blessing. Because Abraham was white, Isaac was white, Jacob Israel was white, and his four wives were all white. And there's no doubt about that. The blessings that Yahweh has bestowed upon the Caucasian race have allowed us to create the technology the world uses. They have allowed us to feed the Che Ki Adama, as it, those who came from the red dirt but don't show blood in the face, who cannot produce enough food to feed themselves and have allowed us the created Western Christian civilization. Now, China, if you go, is, is extremely poor, extremely poor. The vast majority of the people of China are still rural and they hardly produce more than the food that they eat, living in grass shacks and mud huts. This is the vast majority. The big cities are patterned after Western cities and they're done with you know, brutal enforcement of work rules by the communist government. So, and even before communism, all you really had was the intense poverty of the countryside and some interesting, possibly, you could call it even great, architecture of various temples, but nothing on the scale of the Caucasians, absolutely nothing on our scale. What proof is there that we are all equal? The pure descendants of Adam are thousands of years ahead of the beasts technologically, culturally, and spiritually. There is no room for comparison. With that point made, it is time to go into an in-depth study of the difference between the Adamic race and the pre-Adamic races in the scriptures. This will take some time as we will study both the Old and New Testament. Uh, I'm almost done with this document, so I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe there's a part two that I'm missing, uh, I think I can get the rest of this into this evening's show without, uh, you know, without missing anything. So it looks like uh, we're not going to get any calls. I think I may have to reboot the computer for a free conference to actually uh, work properly. So let's continue. So before we dive into the Old Testament, let us take a peek into the New Testament. This is for those who lack faith in our Father's Word, who have been brainwashed 
in the establishment churches. It is sad indeed when we must prove the validity of the Old Testament to a Christian with the New Testament. But in this modern era, far too many of us have forgotten that Scripture is Scripture, regardless of its age. It's the covenant message from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, folks. It's the covenant message, and only the Caucasian Israelites are the covenant people. Once one reads this, it should remove all doubt about the removal of the law by the coming of Christ. Matthew 15:16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now men in the Greek is translated from anthropos, from which we get anthropology. But here it actually means white men because that's the term that the Greeks used. They had different words for Negroes. I forget what the Greek word is for Negro. But they definitely did not consider the Negroes to be anthropos. And even the whites of Germany and Europe they referred to as barbarians. But that was primarily because they did not speak Greek. And they were conquered <laughs> by those barbarians, those white barbarians, right? And all the coinage and statuary of the Greco-Roman world, you will find nothing but white people depicted. That's it. You will not find, there were no black kings. There were no black queens. There were only white kings and queens. White people depicted on their coins white people depicted on their statues. Of course, the Israelites were forbidden to make images of themselves. So what we have of the Israelite people is images created by other cultures, such as the Greeks and the Romans, and, those, and, and the Arabs, who depicted, who took the time to, and trouble to depict Israelites. Every depiction of an Israelite is that of a Caucasian and, of course, we know that Ham was a Caucasian because his offspring, the pharaohs of Egypt, were also white. King Tut's DNA was analyzed, and it is 99.5% white. And the only reason it's not 100% is because they aren't sure yet of what the other 5%, you know, how to categorize the other 5%. Verse 18 Oh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Think not that I, Jesus Christ, Yahshua, God in the flesh, am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He became to fulfill the Levitical law of sacrifice. That's what he fulfilled and the various prophecies that referred to him. Okay, this is why he mentions both the law or the prophets. He came to fulfill both the sacrificial law, and the prophets. He did not come to put an end to the Mosaic law. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. And all includes prophecy. That is a powerful statement. However, every Sunday thousands of preachers are telling their congregations the exact opposite. Christians are being told that Christ came to destroy and replace the law and the prophets. 
They are being told that certain parts of the law, the food and health laws, for example, no longer apply. Do not be fooled by these preachers of Baal. Not one part of the law can be removed until heaven and earth pass away. Thank you very much. That's what the verse says. Any preacher who tells you otherwise is Antichrist because he is denying the words that Jesus Christ spoke to you in Matthew chapter 5. Continuing with chapter 5, verse 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. With the understanding that the law still stands, let us see what scriptures have to say of interracial marriage, fornication with a beast. Kind after kind is a fundamental commandment. It is the natural order of things as established by Yahweh. Okay, Genesis 1.24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. Verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. So, all species were reproducing <clears throat> after their own kind. And Genesis 1.11 states it even more clearly. It says, uh, these beings reproduce after their own kind and have their seed within themselves. In other words, their genetic seed, their DNA, is, is designed to reproduce like a begets like, kind after kind. It's designed that way. And every genetic experiment which does not involve false mixing of two different kinds proves this to be true. Exodus 22.19 Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. Bestiality, anyone? But of course, we, we're talking about beasts with hands. The Israelites never... Uh, <laughs> there's no instance of an Israelite having sex with an animal. But with a two-legged beast? Yes. Leviticus 20.15 And if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death and ye shall slay the beast. Why kill the beast if the beast is a dumb animal? If any Negro approached the Israelite camp, and the likelihood of that is almost nil, happening in Old Testament times, uh, it would have been put to death immediately. It would have never had a chance to, to lay with a white woman. Verse 16, And if a woman approach unto any beast, and lie down thereto, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast, they shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. So clearly, the beast that's being spoken of is a beast with a hand who has the comprehension that it is doing wrong. That's why it's put to death. Leviticus 18, 23-24, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. In other words, all the nations that they were ordered to destroy were guilty of this kind of fornication, namely race mixing. Deuteronomy 23.2, a bastard taken from the Hebrew word mamzer, 
which means a mongrel or half-breed, shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of Yahweh. I think we stopped counting at uh, Quadroon. <laughs> but there's, we're in the south, especially in the city of Nolens, they actually kept records of how many times uh, a person, you know, how many generations of race mixing occurred in an individual family. So a half-breed is a mongrel, then they had the quadroon, which only quarter white, and then uh, there's a word for an eighth. They had, they had a word for an eighth white, etc., etc. So they had words for these, and they kept records in the city of New Orleans before it was uh, taken over by uh, you know, the, the United States. Again, continuing, and uh, well, I thought Jesus came for everyone, regardless of race. <laughs> Certainly some of you are thinking this. Well, Yahshua did come for all men, Adam, but not for the beast of the field. Let us see where man and beast differ in the New Testament. With about 10 minutes left, Matthew 7, 6, Give not that which is holy unto dogs. Remember this part about dogs, and we shall find out what Yahshua is talking about later in the book of Matthew. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. These are the serpents who call themselves Jews and who claim to be Israel but are not and are of the synagogue of Satan. That's Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. This is what happened to many, most of the white missionaries who went to Africa who cast pearls before swine and got eaten for their trouble. Verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. But this is only for the covenant people. Verse 8, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, of whom of his son ask bread, and will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give food gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things unto them that ask him? Of course, this applies exclusively to the covenant people, Israel. Cross-reference everything in those verses that we are about to read in Matthew chapter 15 and see the example that Yahshua gave when it came to following the above commandments. Matthew 15:22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have thou mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Verse 23, But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Well, if Jesus is teaching compassion to all races, why would they send away this Canaanite woman, or this woman from Canaan? For she crieth after us. Do you understand when she asked Yahshua for aid, he just ignored her? And even his disciples wanted him to send her away. They didn't want anything to do with her. Why? We will see. Verse 24, But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, who are today known as the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Nordic, German, Lombardic, Teutonic, and kindred peoples of Europe. Verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. 
See, beasts of the field can worship God. Verse 26, but he answered and said, it is not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. So he uses the word dog to mean non-Israelites. Comprende? Verse 27, and she said, truth, Lord, she admitted, just like Barack Obama admitted he's a mutt. Truth, Lord, yet even the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table, and they're still eating our crumbs today. But the Jews have arranged for it that we actually have to pay for the privilege of giving them our food. Note in Genesis that Adam was given dominance over all beasts, and thus is their master. Note what happens when she accepts her God-ordained role as a dog-slash-beast and servant of man, Adamites. Verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So Yahweh can heal anybody he chooses, even non-whites. They can be of great service to us if the, the relationship between us and them is restored to its proper roles as determined in Genesis chapter 1 from verses 25 to the end of Genesis chapter 1. Not that Yahshua did not give the children's bread to her nor offer her anything holy. He did not offer her the, offer her the keys to the kingdom. She received the crumbs from the table, a healing for her daughter, which is an earthly blessing. In ignorance, many Christians have been deceived by the Baal ministers into thinking that this woman was a Gentile, but for, but for one to be a Gentile, they must first be an Adamite, not a beast of the field. For the Gentiles came not of the pre-Adamic races, but of the pure racial sons of Adams. And of course, we know that the word Gentile is a false usage anyway because it, it literally means a person of the same race, tribe, or family. And that's how the Ro Romans used it. That's how the Latins used it. It's only the meaning has changed by the Jews. Israel versus Gentiles is not a difference in race, but the difference in the branches of the same racial tree. The Gentiles, sons of Japheth, he says here, were indeed grafted back into the tree of Adam with the coming of Yahshua, but they could only be grafted back into the same tree, because this is where they came from. You cannot graft a branch from an apple tree into a tree that produces oranges. Neither can you graft the Gentiles back into the racial tree of the white Adamic race called Israelites of old and called Christians today, unless this is the same root from which they sprang. Let not the cries that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile and that these Baal ministers cry every Sunday persuade you to believe that all races have a common ancestry in Adam and all are the same with the coming of Christ. Yahweh says, He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Is this to say that there is injustice with God? God forbid. Yahweh had a divine purpose in mind when he created the black beast and the yellow beast, just as he had a plan when he formed Adam as his flesh and blood son here on this earth. However, their purpose and ultimate destinations are not the same. Let us read what Ecclesiastes, the book of the priest, has to say on the matter of man and beast. 
Ecclesiastes 3.18 I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they manifest the that they themselves are beasts, that is to say, living things. For that which befalleth the sons of man, here their earthly bodies, befalleth beasts, we're mortal. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they all have one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, this is the grave, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Let me repeat this. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better while here in this flesh tabernacle than that a man should rejoice in his own works for that is his position. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Okay, well, Yahweh will. Because <laughs> yeah, we will be resurrected, either unto damnation or unto glory. You see, the spirit of man, though we see it not, shall return to the celestial plains upward to be with Yahweh when his flesh tabernacle returns to dust. While the spirit of the beast shall go into the inner earth downward, where resides both the grave, Hades, and a chamber known as Paradise. Only Yahweh can say what becomes of the beast there, but only Israel should reside in the kingdom of heaven, for this has been told us over and over in the scriptures. May our father Yahweh Yahshua shower his blessings upon you, and may he open your eyes to these truths, if you are of the pure line of Adam. That is the article entitled A Beast with a Hand by Jason Blaha. Okay, and this article can be found at Israelect.com and that is spelled I-S-R-A-L-E-C-T Israelect.com Beast of Bible, or you can just search on the web, which is what I did. I just searched on the web. The Beast of the Field, or Beast with a Hand, by Jason Blaha. And you will find it. Several websites have uh, posted up on the internet. Okay. Uh, Swamp Fox says the sons of Japheth were not under the covenant. They cannot be grafted into the covenant. That is uh, correct. That is correct. Uh, what Paul was talking about in that instance was the citizens of Rome who were actually from Zarajuda. They were from Zarajuda because Zarajuda left Egypt with a bunch of Israelites and sailed across the Mediterranean and founded Rome. Uh, Spain, Britain, Ireland, the Peloponnesus, and uh, Troy. So, yeah, the, but they, the, Paul was talking about them being grafted back in to the covenant. So, good good catch there, Swamp Fox. Uh, I'm getting a bit tired, so I missed that. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. Okay.
So we are, we, Caucasian Israel, are the chosen people of Yahweh. That's what the Bible says. And any, anyone who says any different is a liar. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you next time. Thank you.